Welcome back to our podcast within a podcast, pottering around the restricted section of Mangum Reads. We are three muggles who only get books for Christmas. Uh, my name is Sarah, and I am joined by my two intrepid co-hosts, BJ and Spencer. How y'all doing? Doing well, doing well sir. Quite well. Um, I do feel like the restricted portion of uh, Mangum Talks is probably Mangum Talks TV right now. Um, I did say specifically Mangum Reads. I don't have any accountability for that, that corner of this media empire yes yeah i didn't know what i was getting into when i when lee said you know we should watch the show succession it's a fun <laughs> comedy i was like okay i know nothing about the show but i'll take that endorsement and say that's ready for air and i should have done some googling before i necessarily said that and that's what you all are up to on mangum reads or mangum talks <laughs> tv <laughs> yeah this has been your this has been your mangum talks tv marketing moment <laughs> so um as usual, uh, we'll have our recap, then um, Spencer and I will go into our respective segments, uh, Sarah will award some house points, and then we will uh, bother Sarah with various questions, quibbles, and other questionable things that we have come up with with our uh, in-depth reading of this chapter. Um, and so, uh, Sarah, what, what did you... Uh, see in the mirror of erised this week well that's a very personal question bj <laughs> <laughs> um the mirror of erised is a heck of a chapter um, oh, yeah. in terms of the amount of stuff that happens so i am gonna do this recap and the i can do it in two minutes okay I mean, i've got the timer ready i don't believe you for this chapter but you know best of luck all right, well, hold on to your sorting hats, because it's going to be a doozy. <laughs> um, okay, so we are in the mir mirror of Erised. We blinked, and it's Christmas. Um, Draco tries to get another dig in on Harry for having to stay at Hogwarts over the holidays, but the joke's on him, because Ron is staying too, and they are thrilled about this prospect. Uh, it turns out Harry, Ron, and Hermione have been spending every free minute in the library trying to find Nicholas Flamel, much to Hagrid's chagrin. But they haven't turned up much. Too bad they can't get into the restricted section. So Hermione goes home and Harry and Ron settle in for the holiday break. They play a lot of wizard chess and take over the Gryffindor common room. Harry wakes up on Christmas morning and he, much to his surprise and delight, has presents, including one mysterious package with an unsigned note saying, your father left this in my possession before he died. It is time it was returned to you. Use it well. A very Merry Christmas to you. So it's an invisibility cloak, which is exactly what it sounds like. Harry and Ron go to the feast, go with the rest of the Weasleys to the feast and then have an epic snowball fight. But back in the dormitory, Harry considers the invisibility cloak. He sneaks out to the restricted section and a book screams at him. He takes off away from Mrs. Norris and Filch and ends up in some sort of disused classroom where there is a mirror with strange inscriptions. And when Harry looks into it, his whole family looks back and he kind of loses it for a while. He brings Ron back so he can see all of Ron's family. But when Ron looks in the mirror, he's older, head boy, House Cup winner, Quidditch captain. Discussion ensues about what it all means. Harry becomes obsessed with the mirror and goes back every night. Eventually, he meets Dumbledore there and quizzes him, and Dumbledore quizzes him on what the mirror shows him. He knows it can't be the future because his family is dead, but he guesses it might be whatever he wants to see, which is close. It is nothing more or less than the deepest, most desperate desires of our hearts. 
the mirror is getting moved to a new home soon, and Harry ends the chapter by asking Dumbledore a very personal question. God I'm damn, impressed. sir. Minute um, 55 flat. So, Spencer, would you see the same thing as Dumbledore? <laughs> you know, I was going to get there in newbie's notes, but I'm assuming Dumbledore is lying, but at the same time, nice socks have a certain growing appeal to me. <laughs> <laughs> yep, so, so we'll get there. Um, so, again... For, for this chapter, I think most of what I have is um, it was a bad play on words um, and it's kind of uh, maybe Harry is kind of Spencer-ish and just like, you know, didn't didn't put two and two together and, and get four, um, which like is, I guess is understandable. Mm-hmm. Um, the but, idea that Erised might mean desire. Yeah. Um, and, and that was kind of like an, an, okay, whatever. Um, there are a bunch of other things in this chapter in terms of words that I'm vaguely familiar with and sort of fun things, um, to talk about. Um, I didn't know what chipolatas were. Um, they're apparently fried French sausages Mm -hmm. and that's an actual thing. Um, and I feel like I'm a you know, a little bit sort of behind on my, my food knowledge, not having known this. Um, <laughs> I literally then, only knew that from the amount of British television that I watch. I feel like I watch a lot of British television, <laughs> but maybe, you know, French sausages coming up are a little bit less common. I um, have only encountered them, I think, once, and it was in a sort of 70s TV show. Oh, fair enough. Um, so crackers um and specifically wizard crackers but crackers in general being a christmas thing was something that i kind of forgot about until i read the rest of the paragraph like this is like a thing Mm -hmm. in the uk um and i'm actually kind of amused that this made it into the american version of the english book (laughs) because so many things obviously didn't and then there were like translations and transmogrifications like the title of the book which I don't know. I, I have quibbles and qualms with, but we're, we're just going to ignore that. Um, but basically, crackers are these things that you pull apart that have entertaining things inside, sometimes puns and jokes and, and other little things. Um, it's apparently like a, a major UK thing. Um, so my family does them every year at Christmas. Okay. Um, I, that- I had never heard of them. I literally assumed when I read this that these were Ritz crackers that were magical and somehow exploded. <laughs> until I then Googled and went, oh, that makes remarkably more sense. It isn't yeah. magical. They're just a thing. Yeah, no, the, you need to um, watch a lot more Top Gear. <laughs> the, the non-magical version of them have always have paper hats in them, some sort of small toy or game, and um, a riddle or a joke. Hmm. It's like a kinder surprise, but with a lot less choking and a lot less chocolate. <laughs> and you're usually, gotcha. you always have to pull them apart with someone else, and you're usually a little tipsy when you do so. So it's very fun. Um, a few years ago, my family... <laughs> so you're saying Harry <laughs> Potter's really drunk doing this. I think that they have had a lot of sugar at this point, and I think it's essentially the same thing for them. Mm, um, fair enough. I have my own theories about Professor McGonagall and Dumbledore. <laughs> Yeah. And maybe um, Hagrid. But. but I will say that a few, uh, certainly Hagrid, um, I will say that a few years ago, my family got specifically got Christmas cracker, crackers that had, um, they were musical crackers, and you got little kazoos in each of them that did a specific note, and then you got sort of sheet music, and somebody got to be the conductor, and everybody got a different 
kazoo or whistle or whatever it was, and you would go around and point at people and you could play little songs with your whistles. Um, can we get this for <laughs> Adam's kids? Like when oh, they're God. old enough to, <laughs> like Adam and Josh's kids. So we just like have that as like, hey, these are super fun. They're a thing in Britain. Like, oh, I'm not they're sure, kazoos. I'm not sure that we need Kari directing that. people any more than she already does. I, I'm just like, you know, I may as well dig the hole deeper because it's not going anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought like there were other interesting things in terms of like how J.K. Rowling sort of descri- decides to like talk about things. Um, one of the crazy ones was um, everybody too full and sleepy to do much before bed except sit and watch Percy chase Fred and George all over Gryffindor Tower because they'd stolen his prefect badge. It's kind of like one of those on the surface it's fine but then like you think about it for a few moments and it's just like wait a minute if everybody ate a lot like <laughs> How were they? How were they watching somebody chase somebody all over like a large number of buildings unless everybody else is running, and maybe that's what they're doing, but that also doesn't make sense. Well, they did just say Gryffindor Common Room, right? T- Gryffindor Tower. Okay. So. Well, yeah. then I guess they are probably going up and down the stairs, but you have to return to the Gryffindor Common Room. Right, and it's sort of one of those things that like everybody is is running around, and it's kind of. Uh, like if everybody had a big meal anyway so that was sort of one of those things and i feel like this happens every so often where she wants to convey two kind of opposite things and as long as you just sort of read it and you're 10 or whatever and accept it it sounds perfect but but this is sort of one of those when it's like wait a minute why didn't why didn't you have them do that like before the the heavy meal and so then everybody like was just rotund and and sated like on on a you know comfy chair or whatever so well, that's because they had to have a snowball fight before the big meal so right obviously they were busy <laughs> exactly <laughs> and it wouldn't make sense like during the snowball fight that somebody would then like steal a prefect badge and then they go running all over the place it makes much more sense that after like nobody wants to move that that it happens but anyway so so this is sort of like the quibbles about language um but but it's just a quibble in in a very non sequitur um, chapter, but it was entertaining. BJ, we're reading we're reading a book where there is a textual basis to to answer any question with a wizard did it. <laughs> well, but like literally everything wizards do, and one of one of the complaints that I've had, and I'm willing to give a bunch of leeway to because of the audience that it's intended for, is that whatever fiction you choose should be internally consistent. Sure. That, that's always a fair point. So so this is sort of like the, the minor quibble there. And, and with that, I will turn it over to uh, Newbie's notes. And uh, then we can, after points are given, pester Sarah about things. Well, my first point for Newbie's notes is about internal consistency, that the Dursleys are the fucking worst. The fa- <laughs> that is the really fact- fucking consistent. <laughs> The fact that they sent the effort to send a letter with a taped 50 pence piece to it is just, that is art right there. I mean, it, the postage necessary to send that had to have been substantially worse, but the message needed to be sent how little he meant to them. So, credit where it's due, they are finding new ways to be just vile people. Mm-hmm. So, point there. 
point number two, Hermione is lovely. Uh, her her little her little <laughs> gifts that she left for her little gifts that she left for them, along with the, the gifts from Hagrid and from um, the Weasley mom, were quite sweet. Uh, the invisibility cloak just offers further evidence in my mind that at some point in the past. Uh, Hades was drunk at a bar and Hagrid just stole all of his shit. His dog, his, <laughs> he converted the invisibility helmet into invisibility cloak. This is just wholesale theft that's at play here and Harry's getting all of it. Um, really enjoyed seeing an, opportun- an opportunity to see how rounded pretty much all the professors are other than Snape. That we get the opportunity to see several of them let their hair down and just have fun. And seeing, so seeing again just that Dumbledore is a, just a bit of a jokester, seeing McGonagall, you know, smiling and blushing as drunk Hagrid is kissing her, was just a really sweet <laughs> scene to see that these are well-rounded characters that have a lot, lot of different elements to them. I'm going to raise a question uh, once we get to, you know, grilling you with things about which of, do all of the professors just permanently live at Hogwarts, but we'll get there eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, the last point, though, is that this cap, this chapter really descends well into tragedy. I mean, seeing what affects this um, Mirror of Desire, Mirror of Ezred, is that how, how, how do you pronounce this? Ezred? Erezed. Erezed, sure. Uh, has on Harry, and it's strongly implied has on Dumbledore too, is painful to see. Then the book really does a good job of going into what psychological effect this has on Harry, that this is the dark side of your one true desire for someone that lives in some ways a painful and neglectful enough life like Harry does is that this warps him. This is something he can't escape because this is his one true dream. This is the thing that he's always been denied. It's not a situation like with uh, Ron of where it's something he's always wanted because of certain issues with his family. This is a legitimate void in Harry's life that he can never fill. And now having this slight opportunity of being exposed to it, you just see what just utter drug-like effect that has on him. And that's painful to watch and well done in terms of how it's framed out. And I enjoy the ambiguity that's that's presented with Dumbledore at the end of where he's very much commiserating with Harry about this. He clearly knows the pain and danger of this and is removing it from Harry for that reason. Why it was left here in the first place is an interesting enough question. It's almost like somebody wanted him to see it. Um, but I'll be curious to see more of whether it's ever explained what exactly Dumbledore sees. Because as much as I very much you know, have a similar thought when it comes to socks now in the sense that all of my (laughs) lovely socks I've had for decades are now either getting left at friends' houses or have reached a state of where rags kind of, you know, look down upon them. I need socks, but I don't believe the Dumbledore is being accurate when he's saying this. And I'll be, you know, very curious to see if we've learned anything more about that. Well, Spencer, I have... Sorry, BJ, but Spencer, I have several pairs of your socks that I can gift you (laughs) this new year. (laughs) I'll be up there, I'll, you know, I'll bring more <laughs> socks, I'll wear those socks, I'll leave new socks. There's a tradition that must play out. We have a whole sock-based ecosystem. <laughs> I, 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 I loved your comment, of, I think it was a couple of weeks back, before you said that, Spencer, you've never been to, your, been to my house, but your socks are here. Yeah. So they, are, they are traveling with people now. <laughs> so I will try and post this uh, comic to our... Uh, pottering around or or facebook page or something along those lines but i sent you guys a uh comic in chat last time around and it's it's very uh well i wouldn't quite say appropriate but appropriate for this chapter looking forward to it um i will say spencer to your point i think one of the things that is interesting about the sort of like the dual visions that Ron and Harry have with the Mirror of Erezed 
and Dumbledore alludes to it in this chapter, is kind of the, and they and they kind of figure it out as well, is kind of the the potential tragedy that both of them have from seeing those things, right? The idea mm-hmm. that um, if Ron had not had Harry there to kind of temper his reaction, he could have gone deep into the, well, I am looking in the future and this is what's going to happen. And now I am obsessed by this sort of vision of myself. Right. Um, but Harry was there to say like, mm, that can't really be a thing um, mm-hmm. because everybody I'm looking at is dead. So I thought that that was, you know, it it ends up hitting Harry much harder because he doesn't have the the tempering kind of force there. Um, mm-hmm. But the fact that he kind of is able to draw Ron back into the realms of reality is is interesting in and of itself. That is an interesting point that due to the extreme nature of this device and focusing very much in at your deepest desire, whatever it may be, it just it lends to the extremes on either side of whether it either sends you just in utterly wrapped in, you know, depression and obsession or mm-hmm. sends you on the other end of obsession into just straight megalomania. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the examples that they've chosen that J.K. Rowling has chosen are interesting for the book, but given at least some of the students that might have stumbled onto it, probably not what they would have seen. Um, and I also like wonder and would not be surprised if it was like part of the sex ed lectures that happen at Hogwarts. Cause like you have young teenagers and, and a mirror that just like is probably should never be around young teenagers. Um, in like any other context, so, in an unlocked room. <laughs> well, to be fair about the room, we learn more about what this room is and how it is that Harry and Ron got there um, later. This was not necessarily just lying around for any student to have found. Gotcha. All right. Shall we award house points? Yes, I am ready to do so. I have an unconventional house point award tonight. Um, the winner of the chapter, I am awarding all of the house points that have ever happened to just Hogwarts at Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would have given a lot of points to Ron's mom. Well, that's true. But Ron's mom is going to be like the big winner of really this whole series. So (laughs) (laughs) That's interesting. Um, Hmm. right now, this is our first experience of Christmas at Hogwarts. And I mean, there are enchanted snowballs and roaring fires and there are giant Christmas trees and festoons of things and badass crackers. And mm. I love all of it. And it makes me so happy. <laughs> it, it definitely does sound like a blast. I and mean, this is one of the circumstances where you can understand why Harry and Ron were just really overjoyed to be staying. And they don't even really know what's about to happen. God, if you knew this was Christmas at Hogwarts every year, mm-hmm. why would you go home? Sorry, Mom. Sorry, Dad. You can't compare to this kind of party. I really, yeah, I really don't think I would. I think it would be a sort of, are you sure you don't want to go visit Charlie in Romania again every year? <laughs> oh, um, that, that's a tradition? The Weasley family goes to see him pretty frequently? No, this was just this year that Ron gotcha. happened, that Ron and the Weas- that all of the school-aged children happened to stay behind. Lucky um, Ron. I know. And um, yeah, I think Hermione really missed out. So well, ag- again, been- like, what do you think the percentages are with that? Like, because I feel like if somebody knew beforehand that, like, it's an essentially an awesome party, like, I guess you could just sort of go home for, like, Christmas Day or whatever, mm-hmm. but I don't know. 
It I just seems like a very... I would imagine that most parents are sort of pushing the, you need to come home for the holidays. Mm-hmm. Um, there is one notable exception to this rule where really most of the school stays for Christmas, but that comes much later. Based on the professors getting drunk off their asses and just having a good old-fashioned time there in front of everybody, it seems almost like this is just a, mainly a holiday for the professors and there's just a few students that are left mm-hmm. behind to enjoy it with them. Yeah, I mean, I think McGonagall's going to do what McGonagall's going to do. Um, <laughs> and that's regardless of whether there are students around or not. Except, I mean, they noted early on that they were pretty carefully verifying which students were remaining behind. So it seems like it is very much a minority that are left there. But mm-hmm. the, those, that oh, were yeah. seemingly, th- those that were seemingly left behind for the holidays found a whole new and wonderful way to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um, I would point out that that is a large part of that is probably um, something to do with the presence of Fred and George Weasley there. Just bringing the life of the party to everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so loser of the chapter, loser of the house points. This was a hard determination because to your discussion of the Mirror of Erezed, Spencer, um, I was having a hard time choosing between Harry and Dumbledore um, mm. for just the kind of the tragedy of what they were each kind of experiencing or re-experiencing or whatever it seemed in that particularly that final moment. I am going to give it to Harry um, simply because we see more of his distress over the whole situation, but it was a very close call. Yeah, and it's also Pretty strongly, I thought, implied that, uh, well, that Dumbledore has been there with Harry each of the times he's been Mm -hmm. there and just chose to reveal himself then. So he's just been sitting there watching this mirror nonstop Mm -hmm. for days on end as well. Yeah. That's just sad to think about. Yeah. Yeah. But so. Good call. Also, it seems like a fairly common thing to happen. So I guess I get I don't remember my reading before, but this seems like a very weird, like, apart from my earlier comments, but a very weird thing to have available to troubled youths and for the headmaster to be like, yeah, it happens pretty uh, regularly that, I don't know, like people have trouble with it and it's kind of traumatizing, so. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's not, it's particularly not necessarily students that have trouble with it. It, it Mm. turns out that this, the, the mirror is really being held there over the Christmas holidays before it moves to its new place so that students won't, will have limited access to it or that there won't be as many students around to kind of wander into it. Got um, it. it it's, one, it's one of those things, too, where since we know, since Dumbledore strongly implied that he's just been there watching the mirror itself, it almost seems like, well, he either A, was kind of in some way broken out of his own funk by Harry being there or just chose to reveal at this moment because the moment he, on the third day or whatever else that Harry's going there... Dumbledore at that point then says the mirror tomorrow is going to a different place. Mm-hmm. Was that purely just because of, was that our pre-scheduled timing or is that a timing that shifted because of Harry getting into the questions already now? Honestly, I don't know. Yeah. Hard to say. Yeah. Also a little weird that everybody's invisible and staring at this mirror. <laughs> <laughs> just next to each other. <laughs> Who knows how many people are in that room? All right, well, uh, BJ, yeah. do you have a question to start us off with? Beyond um, already pre-starting. You know what I mean. Yeah, I have I have some questions. <laughs> um, so, 
So I think the question that both Spencer and I have is, is Dumbledore lying? Or since Dumbledore is lying, what does he actually see? Yeah, that that's on my list. Didn't think you'd answer it, but it's on my list. Yeah, so um, the question is never specifically answered. I do think that we get gestures, particularly in the much later books, as to what that what that might have been. Um, but I do, my thought, my personal opinion about this is that Dumbledore might not have been entirely truthful in saying that he sees himself holding a pair of socks, but I do think that he is speaking to a different truth about what his deepest, uh, most heartfelt desire is, which is, I think, a a simpler... Mm-hmm. Um, a, a simpler life with more creature comforts and more um, of an ability to sort of be himself without having to be Dumbledore as we come to know him. Well, given the fact that his titles alone can barely fit on the back of a playing card, uh, that seems to be a forlorn hope for him. He is mm-hmm. There's too much expected of him in this world to have that kind of simplicity. Yeah, and I think that there are... Um, there are a lot of a lot of things that he would have liked to have had out of his life that were curtailed by um, this sort of somewhat reluctant push to power. Mm-hmm. The unfortunate situation of being the most powerful person in the world, most powerful person in almost any room that he is in, he can't really ever hope for simplicity because mm-hmm. too much, too much, too many people are expecting too much out of him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we find out later, although I think that this is, like, not really a surprise given what we know from this scene in front of the mirror, is that, you know, he has, he has lost family and friends um, and really most of his close confidants over the course of, um, of his life. And, like, he is a deeply tragic figure in that way. So, Spencer, mm-hmm. I don't know how many questions you have, but I do have a question to close us out. Um, and one more question, so... Well, I've, I've got basically... I'll, I'll limit myself to one other one that I was curious about. I kind of already referenced it, but to what degree are the professors of this school have lives outside of this school? Yeah. <laughs> and they're experiencing, you know, they're doing Christmas, seemingly almost all of them are described at some point or another, at Hogwarts. Mm-hmm. Don't hear about them having really family, loved ones... Hogwarts seems to be their lives. Is that the norm? Is that what expected of them? Is this kind of a monastic existence in its own way? I think that well, that is... the way McGonagall ahead, looks at Hagrid, I don't know that it's <laughs> monastic, but... You know, I'm not going to assume. <laughs> Go on. Um, so, yeah, it, I mean, it is more or less. They spend, as far as, as far as we know, they spend the entire school year at Hogwarts, including all of the kind of holidays and breaks. Um... At least we don't get any evidence otherwise. They do kind of weirdly leave during the summer, or at least some of them do, and seem to have other places that they live. But I don't think that's true for everyone. But we do see in a kind of strange scene, um, I think in the sixth book, maybe? It doesn't really matter. Uh, We see Snape at, like, his apartment. (laughs) (laughs) Which is fucking weird. (laughs) They have so apartments? Divorced parent kind of deal. It fe- yeah, it feels like that. Where really they spend the vast majority of their time, and some of them I'm sure spend all of their time 
at Hogwarts. Some of them go elsewhere during um, during the summer, at least during the longer breaks, and have kind of rooms somewhere. It's like a very British system. He seems to... All we ever see of Snape's apartment is the fact that he has, like, a library. <laughs> and uh, that might actually be the extent of his apartment. <laughs> so he really lives in a library somewhere. Yeah, maybe. Um, so I, I guess the response that I would have for you, Spencer, is I feel like this is very much written for an audience. And... Did you think about your teachers out, like, existing outside of school before you went to, like, college? I I had the interesting situation of where I had several teachers living on my block, living in my neighborhood. So I just would run into them. So I was aware from a pretty young age that they had lives. But I fully accept your point. Fully accept your point. But was it just like a, oh, God, she's going to think I'm talking out in class. Oh, wait a minute. Like... I'm just hanging out on the street, like riding a bike. It's fine. <laughs> no, I get, I get what you mean. The, the, the teachers, um, through a certain age, exist more as a role than as a person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's what we get most of the time here. Uh, uh, backup question, and uh, feel free not to answer if it's relevant going forward, but I'm assuming that Dumbledore provided the cloak. Am I wrong about that? Well, or... I was going to ask you if you had theories about where the cloak came from, because it is an unsigned note. Is an unsigned note, but the fact that this incredibly valuable object is in Harry's hands and Dumbledore seems not at all to respond with any degree of confusion or questions about it. And uh, also the looping handwriting also struck me as some kind of chord of remembrance that, uh, yeah, I'm assuming it was Dumbledore. Also the sign off, a very Merry Christmas to you, is like a very Dumbledore way of putting yeah. things. <laughs> yeah, no, it, I mean, it is. It is Dumbledore. Um, Harry's father, James, entrusted the invisibility cloak to Dumbledore before he died. Uh, Dumbledore has been holding on to it, occasionally using it potentially, um, but really keeping it in trust for Harry. Yeah, follow-up question about that, the whole entrusting thing. Mm-hmm. Is this implying that Harry's parents knew that they were under threat, knew that they were at risk of dying? We kind of heard vague statements that they were standing against Voldemort, so maybe they knew that, but yeah. are they literally giving away objects for the sake of... Sorry, sorry. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> okay, gotcha. That, yep. that this story gets really dark at times. It's surprising. Mm-hmm. I like it. <laughs> okay, Spencer. <laughs> All right. What was your clo- closing question, BJ? Well, so I have one other question, other than the closing question, but it's less of a question, more like a really. Um, so, <laughs> why is Hogwarts not well heated? <laughs> Fun point. I was wondering about that. Um, you don't need I to answer. Had to, I I had to walk. Uphill three miles in the snow both ways. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that, it gives them character. Yeah. Like, literally, that's the only answer I have. Well, but it's, it also, it's also makes a, a roaring fire more enjoyable and things yes. like that. So, yep. like, eh, sure, whatever. Yeah. Um, there's a reason that there's, like, more fireplaces and castles than there are battlements. They are drafty and cold. It's the nature of just this... It's the nature of the structure. And I guess they've not decided to devise a magical way of fixing that beyond what the building has. I was going to say, has. presumably. Yeah. There's some um, sort of magical sealant you could plug the Right. Or have, walls. like, a central central heating or whatever. But whatever. Um, and to my closing question, Sarah, mm-hmm. do you know what you're doing on November 9th? No, I don't. Because I'm pretty sure I know what you're doing. What am I doing on November 9th? the North Carolina Symphony. Oh, I do know what I'm doing on November 9th. I am going to the North Carolina Symphony playing Harry Potter, which I have done before, and I was dressed as Luna Lovegood. 
Are you dressing as her again? Um, maybe. I still have the sweater with a polar bear on it I wore before. I, I, do I have any <laughs> idea who this character is? Cause no, I don't. you don't meet her until like the fourth or fifth, fourth book, I think. Good maybe God, I need... Book. There's just so many times you guys just say, oh, you'll get that in like, you know, five books from now. I'm just like, oh, I'll write that one down. Okay. <laughs> yes. No, this is an exceptional event and it is really, really fun. And everybody comes dressed up. Um, and so I'm absolutely doing that. It sounds like a blast. So what I find super funny is I can't remember if it was like Facebook or Google, but it's like a 50-50 at this point because we're doing this podcast. I get certain suggested things that <laughs> never before appeared on my suggested things. Sure. And the Venn diagram of places that, that I end up being. And apparently now I'm interested in all things Harry Potter. Um, I get a lot of suggestions for um, random Harry Potter things or um, activities to do. But one of the things that, that thoroughly amused me is like Google tells me like things that I need to know about Harry Potter. Um, and so I get all sorts of like Buzzfeed and screen rant, like these top <laughs> 10 things that you didn't know about Harry Potter, or these are the 10 best things that Hermione ever did. So, Oh, just search for something Harry Potter related on Pinterest once and you will have all of the Harry Potter related crafts that you could ever, ever want. <laughs> for the rest of your life. Oh, no, no. Just signing up for the Wizarding World to take that quiz has made that just very much part of this. <laughs> <laughs> suggested results I get in my search history now. Oh, this is what I bring to your internet existence, guys. Hey, if I want to buy a wand, I've got options. Perfect. Um, so and anything on else? that note... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anything else we want to talk about? Uh, no, I think that Spencer buying a wand is uh, a good wrap-up for pottering around. That's where we're ending. Um, so next week we have a short chapter, uh, chapter 13, Nicholas Flamel. Spencer, you finally get to find out who Nicholas Flamel is, or not, as the case may be. I have my theory, and I'm pretty confident in it, but uh, we'll see if the book confirms it. Perfect. All right. Well, this has been fun, guys. As always. Till next time.